Good to see all of you here. If you're here and you're visiting, welcome to uh, Brister. We've been walking through the parables throughout the summer months, looking at the little short stories that pack a punch uh, as Jesus explained unfamiliar spiritual truths by the familiar things of life. While you're turning, let me uh, encourage you to come tonight. It'd be a great encouragement to these young people who take the effort to put together a choir program to see a lot of folks here. Even if you're not normally accustomed to coming on Sunday night, come on back tonight and be an encouragement to these uh, young people. They put together a program. They've been traveling to different churches, and they included us in their uh, uh, itinerary. So we're thankful for that. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word, teaching us about your kingdom work and teaching us about ourselves. Father, if there's any decision needs to be made here today to get our lives right with you, I ask that you would make that very clear to us and we could do business with you and make it right before we leave. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> This has to be one of the very shortest of the parables, but it really packs a punch. But as we read through this parable, it's going to take quite a while to explain it because it deals with something that is so foreign and unfamiliar to us. The story seems to be very unlikely, but it's very familiar to the hearers of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man finds it. Now, what's that all about? Well, why would this treasure be buried in the first place? Why would it be hidden in a field? We wouldn't think about hiding stuff in a hole in the ground, but you have to understand the area and the culture in which Jesus was preaching. The land that Jesus preached in, we call it the Holy Land has been the site of conflict after conflict, changing hands for centuries before Jesus preached and in the centuries after that. And a piece of ground that's a field today could become a battlefield tomorrow. Your backyard could become a battlefield and it could change hands. And the tides of war would come and devastate the entire area. And a lot of people kept their valuables or their assets tied up in like livestock and land and so forth. But in your household, if you had jewels and you had coins and you had important things, within when you heard of war coming, you didn't want that stuff in your house. So they would go and they would hide it and dig a hole in the ground and bury it and cover it up. It was a very common practice in times of trouble. And times of trouble was very common in that area. So the rabbis had a say. The only safe place 
for your money is in the earth. That's the only sure and secure place. The historian Josephus, we mention him from time to time, he lived about the time of Jesus and he wrote a big, long, lengthy work of multiple volumes called, of course, The History of the Jews. And in this, he deals with the time that Jerusalem was sacked, the last time that the promised land, the holy land, changed hands out of the Jewish uh, possession really for good until 1948. And he says this about the time that Jerusalem was just leveled to the ground. No small quantity of the riches that had been in the city were still found among its ruins. A great deal of which the Romans dug up. But the greatest part was discovered by those who were captives. And so they carried it away. I mean the gold and the silver and the rest of that most precious furniture which the Jews had, which the owners had treasured up underground against the uncertain fortunes of war. So what had happened is, years, decades, maybe centuries before, wars on the horizon, somebody buries the treasure. It could have even been about the time of the Babylonian captivity, hundreds of years before, they never came back. They never came back to reclaim their treasure. And it lay buried in the ground until this man found it. He probably was a common laborer digging the ground or tilling the ground and he happened to find it. Now we might say, no, wait a minute. Sounds like something's fishy going on here. The man didn't own the field. The man did not own that property. Doesn't the hidden treasure belong to the property owner? Well, according to our Western values, it does. But interestingly, in that time, legal codes accommodated finding lost things. In the legal code, it says if a man finds scattered fruit or scattered money... These belong to the finder. Who would have thought that finders, keepers is exactly a legal code? But it was. And it could get quite technical. If an object was found from the threshold of a house, outward belongs to the finder. So this guy finds this money. Legally, he's entitled to it. And if you follow the progression, if he wanted to be illegal and unethical, he would have just taken the money and left with it. Or taken part of it to buy the field with it. But he followed the rules. He followed the rules and he sold everything he had to buy the field. Now... In the transaction of buying the field, that's when he determined that it was not the current property owners. Because if somebody asked me about buying some acreage, and I've got a big jar full of coins there, now I'll sell that acreage, but you better believe I'm digging up my jar of money. But he found out that the man didn't own the money. So he wasn't being unethical. Legal code said it was his. 
And he was ethical in the way that he pursued it. He took none of it. It said he hid it back. He covered it back up. He took none of it until he sold everything he had and bought the field. Now, the interpretation of the parable. That's the what. Now we have to say, so what? Well, there's a principle here. Now, this has been interpreted various ways by different scholars. Sometimes people have the finder of the treasure as Jesus who pays the price and buys the whole field so he can get that treasure. But let me tell you what this is not about. First of all, this is not about finding or securing salvation. Salvation cannot be bought even though we give all that we have. Salvation cannot be earned even though we may do our best from now on. Two passages of scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, familiar passage of scripture. It lays it down quite clearly what this parable is not about. Ephesians chapter 2, let's back up to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That ought not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. Well, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 it says the, the same exact thing. By the deeds of the law or the deeds of the flesh shall nobody be justified. There's no way we can earn it. You know the popular story. Somebody lives their whole life, they die. They, they get to, to heaven, they knock on the pearly gates. Peter comes to the gate, wants to know, should I let you in? So we're going to weigh your life out and see if the good outweighs the bad and see if you can make it into heaven because you've been good. Not happening. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and anything we can do is insufficient. And by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 said, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. He says, you're not redeemed with the corruptible things of this earth, gold and silver, or even the vain traditions of your forefathers. But you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that tells us what this parable is not about. The parable is not about somebody selling everything that they have and going all out so that they could find salvation. So the treasure is not salvation. So what is the treasure? You see, this parable is all about what 
we value. It's a matter of priorities. And the key point of the parable is this. A person will sacrifice for what's important to them. They will make sacrifices for what's important to them. Through, of course, our own popular culture, we have athletes who rise to fame, and they go back and they start saying how they got to where they were in their quest for excellence. And they talk about practices, and they talk about workouts, and they talk about sacrifices. They talk about not doing what the other kids were doing. They were working on their particular sport. And all of this sacrifice, why did they do that? Because that was important to them. We will sacrifice for what's important to us. And you see, the key phrase of understanding what this treasure is, is found in the phrase, all that he has. All that he has. It's repeated in the next parable about the great pearl. All that he has. If you look back, and when Jesus was calling the, five, the, the uh, four disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Peter, James, Andrew, and John, all right, he says, come after me, I will make you fishers of men. And Luke chapter 5, verse 11 says, they forsook everything and followed him. They forsook all. Jesus said this man found a, a treasure and he was willing to let go of everything he had for the treasure. These men were already saved men and Jesus said, you follow me in a life of discipleship and they forsook everything to follow Jesus Christ. In the very same chapter, in Luke chapter 5, it talks about Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, very rich guy. Jesus looked at him. He said, you follow me. And it says, Matthew stood up and left all. There's that word again. He left everything and followed Jesus Christ. We know the story of the rich young ruler. It is mentioned in three of the gospels. In Luke chapter 18, verse 22, Jesus looks at him. He says, here's what you need to be willing to do. He says, sell all that you have, take up your cross, and follow me. There's that word again. What does that mean? It means when following Christ in a life of service means enough to us, we will be willing to make whatever sacrifices it takes to get that treasure to get that treasure of a walk with Christ, to follow him with a life of service. This man had no trouble letting go of everything that he had because his eye was on the treasure. Discipleship, a life of serving Christ. When it's important to us, we will be willing to pay the cost to get that. Jesus said it this way again in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 37.
Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake will find it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Those are strong words because the Bible even tells us to love and honor our parents. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those are strong words. And they get even stronger if you want to start filling in the blanks for the things that are important to us. He that loves father, mother, son, daughter, young people. He that loves boyfriend or girlfriend more than me is not worthy of me. We have to understand we love our loved ones more when we love Jesus Christ the most. And the best way for me to love my wife and my children and my grandson and everything around me is to love Jesus most. It's not that I love them less, but when I love him most, I've got more love and I can love them better. Now we fill in the blanks. Not only when we talk about people, he who loves blank more than me. What do we love more than Jesus? What are we not willing to let go of more than Jesus? He that loves career more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves his stuff or his money more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves his reputation, want to be cool among the people, more than me is not worthy of me. What is it? that keeps us from serving Christ. Maybe it's something as simple as convenience. He that likes convenience more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, he says, here's the only way that you can follow me in a life of discipleship is it has to mean enough to you to be able to let go of everything. And this man did. You know, it says he sold all that he had. Can you imagine He's going through town. I've got to let go of everything. I've got to let go of my favorite rocking chair, and I've got to let go of my grandmama's plates up in the china cabinet. I've got to let go. And, oh, man, he's moped. He doesn't say that. He says with joy. He's happy because he knows that the treasure is worth more than anything else he had. And that's exactly what discipleship and walking with Christ is. The treasure of following Christ is much more valuable than our stuff. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul had it all. He was an important man. He was a very powerful man. And looking at the culture of the time and some historical documents, he was pretty well off. He had, of course, a good trade. He was in high esteem as a uh, member of the Sanhedrin. And he says this, What things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. 
Yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. I counted all but loss for the excellency of fellowship with Jesus Christ and knowing him and walking with him. You see, the treasure of following Christ is more than our stuff. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven. He says, rust gets it, moths get it, thieves break through. Now, in that time, of course, some of your major treasures would be like an expensive garment, and moth would get that. Or, or thieves would get that. Or it would just wear out. So all the things that we have, whether it be automobiles, Spiffy little gadgets, things that we play with. All these things, they're going to break and wear out. Money loses its value. Land depreciates, whatever. But he says, you lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, which will be safe. And there for eternity. But you know, we only not only have treasures in heaven, but we have treasure here and now. This man with joy sold everything that he had in bought the field with the treasure in it. Paul said this, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a treasure. Those are two treasures that seemingly are unattainable in our culture. You see, our culture says, if you're rich enough, if you're popular enough, if you're powerful enough, then you'll finally be happy. Then you read the newspaper, you hear it on the radio, some athlete that has attained the height of his career, he's making millions of dollars a year, is in such depression he commits suicide. Well, wait a minute. Well, what happened there? Or an actor or an entertainer. And we're thinking they had it all. They had it all that would promise happiness. And they did not have joy and peace. And you see, none of all that's worth it if you don't have joy and peace. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. You know how many people in this world are aching to be loved and to feel loved. You know how many people are in despair and hopelessness? You know how many people who have no peace in their life? They have stuff, but they're so anxious, stress, anxiety, and all that goes along with it. It's an epidemic in our country. You see, what is the treasure? The treasure is that real peace that comes by walking with Jesus Christ. The treasure is the joy that's promised. Jesus said, I spoke these things to you that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. He says, peace I give to you, not like the world gives, but my peace 
I give to you. You see, that's all found in walking with Jesus Christ. Now you can see where it makes sense. The man was willing to let go of everything, make any sacrifice, bear any inconvenience so that he could have the treasure of walking with Christ. Are we willing to gain the treasure of discipleship and service of Jesus Christ? See, a lot of people can't see the treasure. Let me tell you why. Where was the treasure? Is under a lot of dirt. If there's a lot of dirt in our lives, we're not going to see the treasure. He had to sweep away some dirt before he saw the treasure. In a lot of Christians' lives, there's no treasure because there's too much dirt. There's too much stuff that Jesus doesn't approve of, and we've got to clear that out. We'll never see the treasure. And here's where we all wrap it up. It's all a matter of how this man esteemed and valued what he knew was there. And he was willing to let go and do anything to get that. Following Jesus involves a deliberate decision. There was a time he had to decide, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to attain that. Following Jesus involves a continual investment. It's going to cost. It's going to cost. Following Jesus carries with it the possibility of extreme sacrifice. But the rewards far outweigh any cost. And the Apostle Paul said it this way, I can't all that stuff but just rubbish compared to what I found in Jesus Christ. The treasure is worth the price of the whole field. And the treasure of serving and following Christ is indeed worth it. But don't miss the treasure. As we prepare for an invitation on him, again, want to be sure this is not about a man seeking God and finding God. The Bible says quite clearly, In Romans chapter 3, verse 11, there is none that seeks after God. Man doesn't seek after God and finally find him. That's why Jesus told those three parables about the lost things. God looks for us. God, this is not about you trying to look for God. God has found you. And you know where God is. And you know where Jesus is. And God's looked for you and God's found you. That's that's the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That will includes all of us. But it's all about a man deciding that the treasure's worth it. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? He's here with a free gift of salvation. If you've received that free gift of salvation, do you know the treasure of walking with Jesus and being in his will? As we stand and sing. What number 57. <clears throat>